Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hi, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. Our guest today is Howard Franklin, the Managing Director of Ohio River South, an Atlanta, Georgia-based political and government affairs firm. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thank you for having me. Excited about it. Yeah, man. So we, Howard and I first connected through mutual uh, friends and the uh, advocacy community. And then I had the pleasure of visiting him and his firm um, over the Thanksgiving holiday this last year in 2019. And it was great, you know, seeing your office, man, and just connecting with not only a you know, colleague, but also an entrepreneur, as we see ourselves, you know, who are building own firms. And we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to get into more of your background and also, you know, just detailing what all what all Ohio River South does and the market you cover. Sure. So, uh, you know, answering the, probably the, the most complicated question first, uh, my background really is of a person who found his way to politics and has really just enjoyed every minute of it. I started my career in politics uh, volunteering for an iconic mayor in the city of Atlanta, uh, the late great Maynard Jackson, um, running a nonprofit that he had founded and was still the, uh, acting as a chairman for. And uh, I was with him working on a nonprofit focused on youth voter turnout until he passed away. But in the commission of the work we did together, I got to meet so many of the Atlanta and Georgia and regional based luminaries, uh, you know, mayors and city council members, school board members and county commissioners and, and a bunch of others, even at the state legislature at the federal level. In fact, um, when we were working together, I remember one of the meetings that stands out most for us, there was a Democratic candidate for president who came to town who was seeking Maynard's endorsement. So we'd like, here I am, this 23-year-old kid. I think we were with the Marriott Marquis and some, you know, highfalutin suite, uh, listening to this guy make his pitch for why this former mayor who still had so much sway or held so much sway in the city and around the state should support him in his vision for his candidacy. So I just, I had a ton of great experiences working for Maynard. I went on to work for another great mayor, Mayor Shirley Franklin, mm -hmm. uh, who, although we share the last name, we are not related, um, and just learned some of the ins and outs of the local government and spent another five years between uh, large urban governments, mostly at the county level, and mostly as a senior policy advisor or communications advisor to both DeKalb and Fulton County governments. And in between, those really wonderful experiences and, and you know very exciting adventures i did a bunch of campaign work i probably ran two dozen campaigns for everything from school board member to a uh, member of the parliament and uh the grand cayman or cayman islands uh in 2009 and in 2013 so i got a, a ton of great experiences in the campaign world as well and then eventually found my way to the world of contract lobbying just kind of applying both the skill set and the, the knowledge that I built uh, or had built around a number of issues and then just the relationship network that also came with the work that we do. So um, go ahead. <laughs> oh God, no, you keep going, man. I want to hear more. Yeah. So the, 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 the other question I, I need to answer is Ohio River South, you know, who yes. we are we're based. Um, we named the company, although we're in Atlanta and that gets plenty of eyebrows. People are kind of like, wait, are you in Ohio? But we're based in Atlanta and we're really focused on the Southeast. Um, in just the last two and a half years, we've worked for better than 75 or 80 organizations, everything from national issue-based groups to uh, the American Cancer Society to local governments. 
uh, advancing policy and uh, attacking, you know, really tough, intractable public sector problems wherever they presented themselves. Uh, the company is named the Ohio or Ohio River South because the Ohio River was the natural line of demarcation between North and South. There's a, a lot of import. And as I was thinking three years ago, kind of, you know, really wanting to form a narrative-based company and, you know, really wanted a story that would stand next to the work that we were doing and what, that would attract partners and clients to us. Uh, I just, you know, through reading and looking at the region, the Ohio River, which is this really important tributary that was responsible for driving so much commerce and so much change. And it also was, again, kind of the unofficial Mason-Dixon line, even before cartographers plotted the Mason-Dixon line across uh, across the country. So there's a ton of import. And I, every now and again, even though I get a lot of, you know, a lot of questions about the name, people are always interested to talk more about it. And every now and again, people say, I know what that means. I know where that's from. I know the import of that particular tributary. So we love it. Uh, two and a half years in, I mean, it hasn't been a hindrance. I think it's been a help, honestly. And uh, we enjoy what we're doing. So we work from everywhere from DC all the way down to Florida on the Eastern Seaboard. Very good, man. So what else, I mean, outside of Atlanta, or outside of Georgia, rather, what would be the, the key states? I mean, Southeast is sizable, right? Probably the size of Texas. But I'm yeah, joking. you're right. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, you know, dust off. But what, uh, what other key markets outside of Georgia in the Southeast do you really feel that you kind of see? Yeah, we, we've, been very, we've been very active in Alabama. Um, we've done all sorts of projects in Birmingham and Selma and Montgomery. We've also been very active in the Carolinas. Uh, both north and south. And then I would say Tennessee and Louisiana kind of jostled. We've had clients in both states um, and have both kind of jostled for where the most import is. But I, I think in the order that I gave them to you, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina are really the, the, the next three for us. Um, but we're kicking the tires on working in Virginia right now. We actually worked on um, a couple projects this year that were smaller in Virginia this past year and looking to do more there. So really, we're just trying to build the infrastructure to be able to service clients at the level and the expectation that they have. You know, part of the impetus for the company beyond just the narrative driven aspect of it was that when you come to the southeast and it's probably this may be true to a lesser extent in Texas or the southwest, but in the southeast in particular, um, you really have two options if you want to engage with a professional advocate, right? You've kind of, you've got big law firm lobby shops and they come with all the accoutrement, all the expensive class A office space, all the, the dress code regulations and all the high bills, right? As well as many of the conflicts that you see when you've got kind of two profit centers based in one business where you've got a law practice and a lobby practice. Uh, and we've been a beneficiary of a lot of conflicts inside of those organizations when they can't service one line of the business or the other. And then on the other end of that spectrum, you have, what we affectionately refer to as the single shingle, right? Um, a a pro professional like myself who's had some experiences, uh, built some relationships, has some know-how, but isn't trying to build uh, a big sprawling enterprise, right? Is looking for more of a lifestyle business, you know, pick up five or 10 or 15 clients, you know, do the work you want to do, but also have the leisure you want to have. And we see ourselves as really attacking the middle of that market. We think, uh, growing to some degree of scale. Uh, we just brought a seventh person on. I think, you know, my forecast will, will be at 10 or 12 folks by the end of 2020 and to continue to grow so we can do the bigger, more meaningful projects that touch, you know, the national discussion that go to New York and California, that, that stop in DC, et cetera, and not just limit ourselves uh, to some of the stuff that's more localized. That, that's, that's the idea. And thus far it's worked out pretty well. 
Yeah. And that's interesting too, right? Cause I mean, just, and you know, just kind of backtracking to my, you know, and talking with Howard and my, my goal and in the next few episodes is to also talk to some other colleagues across the nation is just kind of getting a feel for the, you know, how you play in those regions, right? Because coming from Texas, just as you've been, you visited the state before, it's just huge. So Correct. in this market, I mean, you know, you have Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, and Houston, which are you know, four major metros. And the, the metroplex is really right uh, in this country. And even like, you know, one of the ideas, like the goals I have for my firm is to just be in those four markets. And that, that's, I mean, that you lay those across the Southeast, right? And you know, hyperbole. And that's just, that's enough sometimes, right? The, the span of space between those deals. And then I want to go to El Paso. It's an eight hour drive uh, west. Um, anyway, but getting back to, to you, I, I just let me, make it, let me interject just for a second. I think you're right, and I think the closest thing we have to a comparison there is Florida, where you've kind of got three states in one, you've got a huge population center of 30 million people, you've got three separate economies. South Florida is you know terribly international, North Florida is where the capital is, you got something different in Central Florida. So, I, I get that, um, that dynamic. I think the difference is that in the states that we've been really active, we don't have that degree of uh, spread or that degree of diversity for the political investment. So by and large, and I know my friends in uh, you know, Augusta and Macon and Columbus or Athens may not like to hear this, but really the game in Georgia is Atlanta, right? It's mm-hmm. an economic driver. It's, it's where the capital is. It's where the biggest airport is, the busiest airport is. There's so much happening here. And even you can touch really easily all the metros that are connected uh, or adjacent to it. Whereas you, you made a great point. I mean, I think the top two metros for Fortune 500s are Houston and Dallas, respectively. So you guys have two top two metros in just the, two, the four cities you named in one state. And I would okay. tell you that if you get to Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, Alabama, the Carolinas, what I just said about Atlanta and Georgia is even more true there, right? Where mm-hmm. you get to Birmingham, you pretty much, you got the run of the state. And, you know, you, you're, if you're doing the right thing in, uh, in New Orleans, then, you know, you can get to Baton Rouge, but it, that, a lot of the business is going to happen in one place or the other. So gotcha. I, think, I think there's a different dynamic, but I mean, I'm, I'm envious. I wish Georgia had four capitals, uh, essentially, <laughs> that we could chase in one state. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there are pros and cons. I lo- definitely would love to, uh, you know, just visit, you know, kind of have the ability to travel a little bit outside, outside the state. But yeah, it's, it's fun to be able to have all this opportunity, to your point, you know, especially with Dallas and Houston in one place. And then, you know, we'll get this in a minute, but in Texas, with our legislative session, which meets every odd year, that's when all roads lead to Austin, right? Sure. And so we had the benefit of that as well. And then having, also having a, a very, I think, the top economy in the state, in our city, or in our metro area as well. You know, it's, it's beneficial for a firm like ours. Um, so going to that, though, what are some of the major topics you're seeing in the city of Atlanta metro as we go into 2020? And then I want to talk, go from there and talk about just the, the dynamics of your, of the city of Atlanta's council. And we can kind of, I can tell you, talk a little bit about Austin's as well on that end. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm imagining that a lot of the same things we're seeing here, people are seeing all over the place. Probably the biggest thing right now is dealing with micromobility or internet of things, the sharing economy, all these new platforms that are you know, challenging legacy businesses that are offering a greater degree of choice and scale, um, but that regulators haven't quite figured out how to get in front of, how to you know, remit the right amount of tax, how to make sure uh, safety and uh, and insurance uh, requirements are met and a number of other things. So I, I literally had a meeting yesterday 
with our newly installed uh, commissioner of the Atlanta Department of Transportation. We were talking about restitution for micromobility devices, e-scooters, and you know, literally watching a number of cities, whether they're in this region or across the country, grapple with what micromobility means. Um, there are some other, I would say, important themes emerging. I think equity as a theme is something that has emerged in a number of different places, whether that's in the built environment, you know, whether that's in transportation, whether that's in government spending. I just We've seen the lens of equity, and we've seen advocates for equity really figure out how to make the case for, you know, redirecting government spending and other resource. Um, you know, I'd say the same thing for infrastructure and transportation. We, you know, we're doing some work in the parking world and just looking at the, the sheer amount of cost. I, I think, um, especially as we talk about mass transit. So, we, you know, we've got a mass transit system that's 50 years old. Uh, it was built around the same times uh, as Chicago or D.C. or New York. But the difference is those guys were in for a penny and in for a pound. So they expanded their metro uh, transit authorities and you know tentacles everywhere and get you all through the city up to the suburbs. We ran into some some friction as we tried to expand MARTA, and so we it kind of stayed the way it was for 50 years or 45 years. And now that we've tried to come back and invest in expanding the system, a lot of people want it. A lot of folks are not car dependent. They want to be to move around more freely. They don't want to buy a car, pay for housing it, or putting it in the parking garage or whatever else. Unfortunately, the cost of expanding that infrastructure now is multiples of what it would have been 50 years ago. So like we were trying to figure out how we can make meaningful investments in infrastructure, roads, bus rapid transit, or even rail, light rail in the Beltline or elsewhere uh, in a way that, you know, if I put a referendum in front of you tomorrow, AJ, you'll actually get a chance to ride on the infrastructure that your sales tax dollars are paying for the next five or 10 years. And that just, that's increasingly difficult as a cost of construction, a cost of labor, all these things go up. So, you know, I'm imagining, and I guess I should say I can see that a lot of these issues are also cropping up in other cities as well. Definitely. I know with micromobility, that's something, you know, that's, we've had a, a few folks from the Austin Transportation Department on our show previously. Um, but, you know, Austin's definitely a hotbed and a starting ground, launching ground for a number of, uh, or launching ground or the second or third city they launch in for a number of services. Um, I think Revel, uh, it's a, moped you know it's a it's there there's not micro mobility right it's a, it's a moped system that you use a platform to access mm -hmm. they launched here last month about a thousand or so or 500 or so bikes and then you know just where, where our office is downtown there's plenty of scooters the kickstart the kickstart scooters and other like ojo another smaller kind of moped around as well so what do you you know and also just we we're talking before the show uh, we're, our council right now right 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 now as we're recording this is on its third, or I'm sorry, on its third day of dis discussing our city's land development code revision, which will be ongoing as well, ongoing into the to the spring of 2020. And then I think for us, a lot of it too is housing and affordability. And then you know, I, I I saw I stayed in downtown Atlanta when I was there for Thanksgiving, so I didn't see too. You know, I was kind of a new part of town, right? But I know in Austin, Austin itself is the most expensive city in Texas. Right, out of those, all of those major metros, rent is a is is very high here, and it's the cost of living overall is pretty high here. Um, are you seeing afford affordability issues? I mean, it may is a thing to any growing city. I saw I definitely saw a lot of cranes going up in Atlanta around there. So affordability is probably an issue you all deal with in some way. It is absolutely an issue. I didn't get to mention it, and you know, I, I 
gave a nod toward equity, but affordability is right there. And gentrification is right there, right? We've yeah. got we've got a relatively small city. You know, we're just over five hundred thousand people in population, um, so not a ton of density. And, and mind you, again, in these southern cities where we're not built like Boston or San Francisco or DC, where we're building up and there's tons of density everywhere. You know, folks want a big backyard. They want a big front yard. They want to be able to drive into a cul-de-sac and enjoy a you know a suburban lifestyle. And I'm lucky. We have a, a you know one of those. We live in one of those cool communities that feels like the suburbs that's right in the heart of the city. But I mean, that's terribly attractive these days and they're building plenty of them. Um, and there's plenty of luxury high rise development as well, but it, it affordability and gentrification have been huge issues and it really just swings with the pendulum in Atlanta. It's, you know, we're kind of a boom or bust economy We're I would say we're a very diverse economy. So it's not like we make one thing. And if that thing or that sector is not going well, then we're going to have issues with the economy. But I know uh, the pendulum swung pretty far to the left in 0708 during the last downturn. And I know we also have a really prominent and active real estate business uh, sector here in Atlanta. So it's, you know, between speculators and the short-term rentals and a number of other things, there's a lot of upward pressure on housing prices, whether you're renting or buying. Um, so, yeah, that's a big issue. And just, you know, overlay that with the fact that Atlanta is kind of the cradle of the civil rights movement. So this is a place where people expect to be able to earn a decent living wage, to be able to raise their families without fear, to find, you know, decent public education to educate their children. Um, and so there, there's a lot of expectation because of the success Atlanta's had. You know, we call it the Atlanta way of kind of melding, you know, business and politics. And so it, it's definitely found some friction on the issue of affordable housing. Yeah. So speaking of the Atlanta way, so say I'm a company, I'm new, you know, I'm new to Atlanta. I'm looking to, you know, do, do what I need to do. And, but that involves engaging, starting with the city council, right? So coming to Atlanta, what is the Atlanta way in terms of what, what should a company be beyond hiring someone who's local on the ground, uh, you know, an established firm who knows how to navigate those waters and help them? What are some things yeah. that should be kind of on their mind? That's a great question. I have had the the privilege and the pleasure of working for a number of companies that have come to this new market and try to figure out how to do business, how to introduce themselves, how to make friends and be successful. And probably the, the easiest advice I could give that no one would disagree with is that Atlanta is a corporate civic town. So if you're going to come to the city and expect to do major business or major projects with any degree of visibility, people are going to expect to see you in the community. They're going to expect to see you supporting nonprofits and community efforts with your money. They're going to expect to see your um, executives serving on boards, getting involved in schools, you know, finding a way to really be active uh, in their respective communities and supporting uh, longstanding institutions. And they're going to expect you to also be a part of the decision making and, you know, the the city's, you know, almost the mothers and fathers that, you know, the, the unofficial steering committee in the city that contributes to making major decisions about what direction the city is heading in. I, you know, what a great example from a client standpoint, I literally just had lunch with this client uh, today uh, was NCR. NCR, National Cash Registry, has been in Georgia for 10 years. It's, it was based in Gwinnett County for the 10 years that it had been here in Georgia. And then strategic elements of their decision-making on uh, their business plan said, hey, we want to get in, we want to get more ingrained into the city. We want uh, more direct access to the students at Georgia Tech and Georgia State and the AUC that are graduating with uh, 
computer science degrees and engineering degrees as we transform into a software as a service company or as we keep pace with all the fintech uh, evolution that's taking place in transactionality, which is another another name or nickname we call Georgia because of all of the financial services technology companies that are based here. Say that so one they, more time. It was called you call it trend. What do you call it again? We call it transaction alley. Uh, and, gotcha. the, and the reason for it is that uh, it's purported that 70% of online uh, commerce or online enabled internet based commerce comes through the state of Georgia. We've got a number of big companies uh, that have been in this game for a long time that all happen to coalesce here in large part too because we have a, a long standing history of internet security firms. Uh, that have cropped up in this in this particular city. And so, you know, NCR said, hey, I, if we're gonna be a leader in Transaction Alley, we can't be 40 miles north of the city in Gwinnett County, we gotta be in the center of the city. So they built a multi-billion dollar complex. Um, a number of years ago, we were lucky enough to do the groundbreaking and, and lobby for them at the state capitol and elsewhere. And um, they have done a really good job of embracing the expectation that is placed upon any prominent corporate citizen, right? They, you know, everything from sponsoring a suite at the at the sports venues to doing community projects with their diverse and completely distributed leadership team from all across the country. Um, you know, we've adopted schools on the west side. We've done, you know, we host um, members of Congress and their staff, local elected officials. I put together a number of receptions for them, so they, they've done a really good job of really stepping into the role that might not have been really required of them in kind of a sleepy bedroom community like a Gwinnett or a DeKalb County. In Atlanta, where you're expected to participate. And I think that's, that's really the best advice I can offer for someone looking to come here to do business. Got you. And then you're, what about your, so engaging with your city council. So pulling back, is Atlanta a strong mayor or kind of a council manager system? And for, this, for those who don't know, strong mayor city? Yes. So for those who don't know, so as an example or contrast, Austin is a, a council manager system of government where our city manager here in Austin is, you know, is the CEO of the city in terms of the administration, but the council is the effective board, sets the policy and the direction that the city manager here would follow. Um, the analogy to Houston would be, or sorry, to Atlanta would be Houston, which has a strong mayor, and that mayor, similar to like Chicago, has the ability to um, set committees, uh, a rule a more stronger hand in the daily workings of I can I could give you some examples that might be a little different here in Atlanta so uh, on council the council president still can assign who gets to be on what committees but the mayor makes all the appointments or makes the, the lion's share of many of the appointments for the city's three or four dozen uh, adjacent boards so everything from keep Atlanta beautiful to invest Atlanta which is our development authority uh, to the Fulton Atlanta Recreation Authority uh, which sits on some massive deposits of real estate. Um, I mean, you name it, the Atlanta Housing Authority, so that the appointments don't just stop inside of City Hall. Yeah. Uh, they go, they're far and wide. In addition to having, uh, in this case, her, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, hands on a lever of all the administrative functions of government. So if you need something from planning, if you need something from permitting, if you need something from transportation, uh, uh, or from public works, or from finance or procurement, and Again, think about this, the force multiplier of being able to make all these appointments that also affect the busiest airport in the world. So mm -hmm. this is why I'm insistent on it being a very strong mayor. It's not just strong, it's, it's a very strong mayor uh, form of government. There's just a lot of levers that the person who sits in that seat is able to pull. Yeah, and one of the discussions we had just as you know, kind of professional kind of trading notes uh, over the holiday was, I mean, so it, 
you know, so you know, in Austin, we had to register with the city, right? We had to register with the state as well, lobbyists with the city as well. And the, the, our city, you know, it's relatively new for the last few years, but they modeled it out the state. So, you know, you can go online, city of Austin, you search city of Austin lobbyists and see my client list and, and you know, by name, by my, by my full name and, and the pay range and so on. And like my quarterly, we, we fought the file every quarter with how much we made and so on. How is that in Atlanta? So it's, it's registered or it's uh, managed by the state. They're actually in this last administration, not even the last administration, but the, um, the newest set of council members, which included six new council members and a new council president. Out of how many, too? Out of how many overall council, yeah. council so, including the mayor? So um, we've got 15 council seats, uh, and that includes three at-large that are citywide and 12 that are district. And we got six new members, I want to say, in one fell swoop in 2017. Uh, as well as one of those council members became the new council president. And then we've had a special election since then to add a seventh new member uh, in district three. We had a council member unfortunately pass away. And so we had a special election for that seat as well. So there's a lot of change uh, that has been coming from our city council. And one of the things that they did uh, at least kick the tires on, it didn't actually go uh, too far, was looking at registering or providing a process to register lobbyists at the city level. Uh, but I think what you got to realize, and you, you know, you guys may have already seen this, I've been to Austin and enjoy the city tremendously, did not know this about City Hall, although I've been, is that when you put forward a proposal to do that, you've got to take with it all the responsibility for the personnel, the, the filing, the reporting, the taking of those, those dollars and remitting them appropriately. And so I think the city backed off its initial proposal to register lobbyists itself, and we really rely upon the state. Um, so the state is where if you're if you're spending uh, your time lobbying uh, members of the anything more than I think 10 percent of your time as a professional lobbying members of any jurisdiction. We have 6000 elected officials in the state. You're supposed to register with the state and then you can also register your city clients with the state as well. So the, the application process allows you to say <coughs> this is a local client. This is a state client. This is another jurisdiction, et cetera. I got you. And then tell us about the the Georgia legislature in terms of. You know, again, I showed with you Texas. We come, you know, we come into session. Our legislature comes to session every odd year for 140 days. So starting in June, I'm sorry, January 2021 through May 31st or June 1st of 2021. How is it like in Georgia? Yeah, so we're a little different. We uh, thankfully only have a 40-day legislative session, so not the 140 days. We're constitutionally mandated to start the second Monday in January. And that's an important uh, note to make because we've had some inclement weather that suck it, that second Monday on, on a couple different occasions. And uh, the last time I remember it, um, the state troopers had to drive all around the state and pick up state lawmakers because we had a terrible snowstorm. Yeah. And lawmakers didn't have cars that could get them into the capital city. So state troopers literally had to take vehicles out to go get lawmakers uh, to bring them into the capital so they'd have the quorum to actually gavel in on the first day. Um, we've got 236 members, 180 in the House, 56 in the Senate. Um, and that 40 legislative day period, like I said, starts the second Monday in January and typically goes through late March or early April. Uh, the unofficial end of, this, of the General Assembly is the Masters here in Georgia down in Augusta. Uh, that's important for the lobbyists. But, um, you know, they have, a, they being the leadership um, of the legislature have a lot of, of a really wide berth in how they decide to create a calendar. They can, they have weeks where they say, Hey, we're going to be in session one day this week. And the rest of the days will be committee days or we'll be ironing out 
uh, the important details of a particular proposal. And they have other days where they say, listen, we got to burn these days. Let's go in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We just need to burn these days so we can get closer to our crossover day, which is our 30th day. And that 30th day is the day that a bill is required to have passed one chamber or the other to be considered that year uh, for signature by the governor. So, you know, in theory, that bill has to have crossed the House or the Senate or have been passed by the House or the Senate. Uh, and then that, that helps us whittle the number of bills that are actively being considered for those last 10 legislative days. Uh, but we're in every session. Uh, we, we every now and again have special sessions. We had one a year ago on the on the Delta fuel tax. We've, we've had a couple special sessions, but they're not that often. We don't have them that often. One of the, or it's been said, one of the favorite pastimes of our legislature here is uh, is uh, Austin bashing, right? Just when they come in session. Uh, you know, Austin is a very, well, relatively to the rest of the state, relatively uh, liberal. Uh, our legislature, it's still, it's Republican dominated and, and definitely in the leadership with our, our, our Lieutenant Governor, Governor and the Speaker uh, for the time being are all Republican. Uh, what is it like, so similar to you, is there a similar kind of dynamic with legislature to Georgia? <clears throat> I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry, legislature to Atlanta. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, Atlanta's a pretty small city in actual population. We're half a million people, you know, but our metro is about six and a half million people, depending on who you ask, five and a half, six and a half million people. And a lot of colleges, too. I mean, a lot of, a lot of major colleges universities. Well, yeah, so a really big footprint and kind of the tail wagging the dog. And in, in some elements or aspects, you know, we've got large collar counties that are suburbs that are larger than the city itself. You know, DeKalb County, Gwinnett County, Cobb County are all my population larger than the city of Atlanta. But obviously, again, the business has located itself in downtown, Midtown, and Buckhead, Atlanta. So there's a lot of import for what happens here. Um, there's definitely some, you know, some capital bashing, some Atlanta bashing, and, it, and probably along some of the same lines. You know, we're more liberal than the rest of the state, mm -hmm. uh, or at least other parts of the state. I shouldn't say that. I think Athens, for instance, in North Georgia is terribly liberal, but it's also a big college town with a bunch of college kids who, you know, take their their viewpoints to the ballot boxes with them as well. Um, but that to say, yeah, we, we definitely face that. And I know a lot of our leaders are really trying to push for more regionalism and saying, hey, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Let's, let's continue to, you know, to kind of invest in the city of Atlanta because it will reverberate throughout the state and benefit a number of other communities, not just the city of Atlanta. So Yeah. So moving on again, the idea we, we talked about this over the over the holiday. The idea of you know, like I view myself as an entrepreneur who who fell into or moved into lobbying versus being a lobbyist, a quote unquote lobbyist, right? And you know, that mentality definitely I take it in terms of how I develop business, even reach out to you, this podcast, and some other 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 ancillary endeavors of the firm. What are some lessons you've learned just from from the inception of Ohio River South to date and you know, maybe a, a few tips you'd want to share just with someone who's looking to start their own, start their own firm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is, it is a challenging process to get out there and, uh, you know, to really build the relationships and the network that'll keep your firm rolling and keep your firm growing. Um, but I do think that one of the best things that I could advise is to really be prepared. Um, before I started my firm, I worked for others. You know, I, I staffed prominent members of the legislature. I, one campaigns. I think I built a bit of a, a base of operations and people knew that whatever work I was promising to do or committing to do was going to be of a certain degree of quality. Uh, it's going to have a certain ethical measure to it. 
Um, and that, that was just really, that, that's been really helpful. Um, I, I can't tell you the number of times that someone had an opportunity and called me and offered it to me with silencing. We, you know, we don't need a proposal here. We don't need, you know, a negotiation on these. I, I trust you're going to do a good job. You can trust that I'm bringing you the facts. Here's what we have. Let's figure out a way to make that work. And I think that only happens in a reputation business like advocacy or like lobbying. If you do everything you can to safeguard your reputation, you know, you don't shave any corners. You don't take advantage of people. But I think on the other end of that spectrum, um, and it's just something I've tried to abide by, we try to do, we try to be the best we can for everybody who calls us. That could be a speaker of the house. That could be, you know, a sophomore who wants an internship uh, at Georgia State, right? So I would say, and I think I have said for the vast majority of the time that I've been a professional in this space, if you want to meet with me, we can. No question. Now, where we meet or how long we meet for or what's on the agenda, we will have to go through that. But I, none of, none of the, the blessings that I've been a recipient of have come from, you know, hiding um, myself or my firm or my, or my passion for serving others and for getting good things done in the space of advocacy and business. Uh, and then I think just thirdly, one of the things that I'm still very much uh, taken under or taking as a crusade of my own is just really applying creativity to this very traditional and conservative business, right? Like I think I look at my colleagues at the state capitol and, you know, unlike you guys, we don't have 140 days at a time. You could, you could plausibly, you know, wake up in December, hand out a couple of checks to your favorite lawmakers, you know, dust off your favorite suits for January for the start of the legislative session, run hard January, February, March, you know, and bail out in April, go to a few meaningful conferences, and then wave goodbye until November, December again, right? And, I, yeah. and I've seen firms and individuals who have made a great living and probably enjoy a lot more downtime and vacation than I do, you know, running their businesses that way. But I think if you're young and you're hungry, you, and you also, you, if you're applying um, some different principles, some different services, some different strategies to the business, then you got to spend some time testing things out, you know, sometimes measuring twice and, and, and cutting once, sometimes uh, finding partnerships that make sense. And so we've been really active in all those spaces. We are members of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber. We're um, a, a member of the Council for Quality Growth. We're involved with a bunch of the other chambers. Uh, we do consulting not only for uh, those who want to impact public policy, from the legislative standpoint, but we also do procurement work. So I think we've been really willing to apply a degree of shoe leather and creativity when we see public sector problems. And I think, again, I mentioned earlier kind of the single shingle, which I think is a business model that sometimes does that as well, depending on capacity. And then, you know, the lobby law firm, which I think is probably less willing to take on some of these creative engagements and probably more rigid in the way that it approaches uh, potential clients, right? So I think this mid-market space gives us enough flexibility to do some cool stuff that keeps my employees happy, that keeps us uh, talking about good work we're doing in the news, but also, um, you know, is at a price point people can afford and is also doing work that we, that, you know, it's fulfilling for, for us, right? It's not just, you know, um, being a, a being counter or a numbers cruncher and moving something, you know, making a million dollar project, a six million dollar project. But I think we, yeah. I think there's some community aspect in what we do. And I think if you're doing this right, then you'll get to engage with your community. And I think you, when you were here, you were saying some of the same things in terms of, you know, 
having connectivity to the community. And if you, if you are doing your job, people are going to know who you are. They're going to call upon you uh, for leadership, for support, uh, for uh, as a sounding board, et cetera. And I, I think that's how we like to operate. Yeah. You know, and again, I think it's the idea of when you look at yourself or what business you're in, even everything from how, you know, your site, how, what, you know, how you advertise, we don't lobbyists don't advertise, you know, we're not, we're not going to be like on a billboard or those kind of things, but it is your community engagement and, and how I really view it. And we, I mean, we talked about the holidays. It's, it's, um, we're, you know, I think people forget we're, in a, we are a professional service business and, you know, I don't know, you know, a 5,000 foot view, unless you're one of the two, three, you know, kind of big name lobbyists in your respective state, you're dealing with a lot of people who outside in aren't that different looking from you or don't, they're off, they're off the same service, right? We're all connected. We should purport to all be connected and know this process of government. So then that's kind of the first layer, what separates, you know, lobbyist A from B. And it comes down to, it is the presentation of perception that you put out there. And the beauty, what I love about, especially this era, the era we're in right now, we've been in for the last decade or so, is it's so much that is within your hand to do if you look at yourself as a business owner, providing a service, and also how am I advertising my service and you know, broadcasting it, right? And it gets everything from this podcast and so on. You got, I, my view of it, my working thesis when I launched you know, BIM Group was you, you got to do more. You can't just, more so when you're, you know, an, you know, a, a new, you know, a, a new firm on the, on the market, right? How are you differentiating from folks who have those established referral networks and so on? You gotta do it. And then the, the beauty of it is, you know, it, it, this industry overall is fairly conservative. And so if you just keep pushing and keep that, you know, a certain level of energy momentum going, it builds on, it compounds over, you know, year over year and no one's really, you know, relatively doing that. And you look up one day and realize, well, should I slow down? I'm kind of almost, like I'm coming, I mean, there's no way no one really chasing it, right? Yeah, you're almost right. like, for me, it's like even this podcast, it's like you, I had the idea, you know, like last, last spring and it was the thought, okay, this is something in the market that I'm not seeing in, in this city. And I see a few other podcasts from the country, but the more episodes I can put out, quality episodes, more content I can do, like today we launched episode 65. I own this space in this city, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's on the record now, but like there's no one else who has a, no lobbying firm who has a show and need they launch their show today, right? They're still chasing me, right? You're absolutely right. Let me just say, we're, we're having this conversation because you're so far ahead. I'm in Atlanta, a thousand miles away. I heard you on another podcast. I looked you up. I said, oh, he's got a newsletter and a podcast. I'm definitely going to subscribe. And, you know, we connected. And I think that there are going to be linkages like that that continue like you said to compound the longer you're doing this work right yeah and i'm sure other people will try to figure out how to catch up or how to throw more resource at it to try to catch up as quickly as they can but I, there's an authenticity to it and there's also just there's an ownership to the idea right you're not the first pot you're probably not the first lobbyist who considered it but you're the first one that i'm aware of who decided to do it and then in addition to that you've invested in it you just didn't do it and leave it you know, in a corner to die or to be found by anybody who's looking for it. I think you've done a really great job of building a platform that leads prospective clients and prospects and employees back to you. And I think that's really the game, name of the game. It's, you know, you're a pie piper at the end of this thing. You're, you know, we're all collecting relationships, trying to do favors for folks, trying to build our own subject matter expertise so that when the opportunity arises that we can, we can redirect all the political, the social, uh, the financial, in some cases, 
in some cases, capital uh, for an even greater good. I think that if more folks were uh, thinking like that, then we'd have a much more competitive industry. But as it as it currently stands, I, I you know I, don't, I haven't been to the the state house in Austin yet. But I, I got my impression is that you're leading the pack there, and I think it's going to continue to redound to your benefit. And I think the same thing is true for us here. You know, I'm going to leave that, that, Howard, but I will say I would love to get down to uh, the Masters of uh, Virginia Space available in March. And we'll, talk, to, yeah, we'll talk about that. And then also, you know, our firm, we're having, we'll have our three-year anniversary coming in April, so I'd love to get you down there. I'll be on a Friday, get some Texas barbecue, and just show you the city. I'm itching to get back to Austin. I haven't been in probably four or five years, but I used to be a pretty frequent South by Southwest goer. And I know there's a bunch of other concerts and other cool things the city does that I'd love to partake in. So we can also do ACL that invitation that I, I'll accept. Yeah, we can do ACL Fest in this, uh, in this or the next fall too. Anyway, awesome. man, thank you for your time. We'll get back to your important work. You have a great rest of the week. You do the same, AJ. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.